0: Well, good morning. I'm I'm so encouraged. It's 10:59, and look at you all in here. Well done. People do read our announcements. It's great. Thank you for being here. Very punctual. Uh, thank you for rolling with our our service time change. This is, if this is week one, we're doing great. Um, hey, just want to say a couple of things as we get started here, just so our communication is as clear and helpful as it can be with with all the things that are going on around here. So I just want to speak to two things quickly. You can see on the front of your bulletin, as Pastor Gary said, we have a women's ministry called SALT on Monday nights kicking off here. Uh, We have a Wednesday morning men's Bible study kicking off on the 30th. Lots going on. You may notice something missing, which is something that for about a decade now has been happening every fall, which is a ministry called Women's Breakaway. And um, it's going to be absent this fall. Um, they just needed to transition to new leadership um, right towards the tail end of the summer and going into the fall. And as they began meeting together as future new leaders in, in early September, they were realizing that this, this wasn't coming together in time to do it well in the fall. What's really encouraging to say about, uh, about women's ministry on Tuesday mornings is that there's a couple of really willing and gifted women in Jessica Ross and Amanda uh, Weeb, who are taking on the leadership of this ministry and have some great support, and Jill Henderson and others. And, and they're really looking forward to, to relaunching uh, Women's Ministry on Tuesday morning starting in January. But we do want to apologize. Our communication hasn't been super great. We've been waiting to see how they'd like to lead and, and in what way it should go, and if we have enough time to get her done. And so uh, uh, Valiant Attempts, this is a really felt uh, need and wonderful ministry we have. We appreciate your patience and grace in allowing us to take a, a fall off in order for these women to, to launch in January in a way that they're really excited about and, and we really support. Uh, secondly, need to make an announcement. Um, it's, it's not fun to make these, but there's another update regarding staffing I'd like to make. Here we've had a couple pastors join us recently, but unfortunately I have... I get to be the bearer of bad news this morning and let you know that last week, uh, Pastor Chad submitted his resignation to, to myself and to the lead team, and the lead team has since accepted that resignation. Chad has been our executive pastor here um, for the last couple of years, I guess now. Wow, it's flying. And, um, and so he has uh, submitted his resignation. Um, they plan on living locally and, and being a part of Central, which is always really encouraging that... Um, Things are good here, um, but simply um, he's just been leaning on the Lord and t- trying to discover where God is leading him and, and has found an opportunity with a nonprofit organization uh, to use some of his gifts that seem really right down his alley. And we just want to bless him in that. Um, and so I want you to know the Berneskis will be around and continue to be around, but I encourage you uh, love them, bless them, hug them. Give Chad really long, awkward embraces just to mess with him. Whatever you want to do. Um, but we just, we want to love them well as they transition. And um, also appreciate your prayers for them. And prayers for us as a church. Here's, here's another transition that we uh, have to make. But if... if if we get to look at the past as any indicator of what God will do, where there's a need in Christ's church, as we give ourselves to faithfulness and prayer, he provides, and provides in miraculous and wonderful ways. And so really trusting the Lord in that. But wanted to make you aware, and it's with sadness I mentioned that on a personal note as I think about Chad. Uh, I had the privilege of stepping into the lead pastor role here not even a year ago and Chad uh, has had this executive pastor role of really being a kind of a, a my 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 right-hand man that I get to run with and he's also really spent a lot of time protecting me from things um like excessive amounts of meetings and stuff that would literally make me drown so um, just get, allowing me to thrive and start well by, by giving myself to study and prayer. Chad has taken on leadership in a lot of ways that get very little recognition, and he's done so in an incredible way. His, his work ethic and commitment to this place and to Jesus have been wonderful. So, uh, yeah. But a, um, a transition nonetheless to be in prayer for and appreciate that. So send your love Chad's way. We are continuing a series uh, called One Anothering. We started it last week at kickoff. One Anothering, um, we're calling it that for two reasons. One, it's fun to make up words. And secondly, we're calling it one-anothering because we want to focus this fall at, at, at a number of one-another passages in the New Testament that tell us how to act as a church. What does it mean to be a local church, to be community together? We gather here. Is there more to it perhaps than many of us recognize? The New Testament tells us over and over again about these th- how we are to treat one another. That's not humanity at large, although there's much to say about that. But the one-another phrases have everything to do with the church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the saints, however you want to phrase it, and how we ought to look. So we began with love one another, and everything flows from there. And we pick it up this morning with um, pray for one another. I want to start by letting you know something that's been in the news uh, in recent months and uh, just sort of finally worked its way through the court system. A New Jersey man uh, found out he cannot collect damages for burns he suffered while bowing his head in prayer over a sizzling steak fajita skillet at Applebee's. A state appeals panel ruled that on on Wednesday, March 4th. Let me just tell you a little bit of this story. I love this story. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe it's sick of me to love this. But in March 2010, a man visited the restaurant, Applebee's, great chain, with his brother and ordered a steak fajita, which was brought to him in a sizzling skillet, according to court records. The waitress, catch this, allegedly did not warn him that the sizzling hot skillet was in fact hot. And after receiving the food, the man and his brother decided to pray. And he bowed his head close to the table. As he was praying, he claimed he heard a loud sizzling noise followed by a grease pot and felt a burning sensation in his left eye and on his face. The man said he panicked and knocked the plate of food on his lap, causing more burns, None of the Burns left any scarring, records show. But he sued in state superior court, claiming he suffered serious injury and the restaurant negligently gave him hot food and obviously didn't account for his commitment to Jesus that he would pray over that skillet. So he sued their butts. Anyway, that, that, that's my ad lib. Just read... <laughs> Reading into this court uh, document, the lower court dismissed the case, finding that the danger posed by the sizzling fajita plate was, quote, open and obvious, and that he chose to put his face close to it. And an appeals court agreed. I tell you this story as we look at prayer this morning, because then I think it makes sense of my sermon title this morning, Sizzling Poppin' Prayer. Uh, So let's do it. No, it's not. We're not doing that. But there's many things that we could say about prayer. What do we do with prayer? We could say so much about prayer, could we not? Prayer is near and dear to the heart of everybody who's walked with Jesus for any amount of time. We find it difficult sometimes, and we'd love to learn how to pray better or pray more effectively. And, And we also could speak of all the joys that come from prayer in general. And so what do we do with a topic that... Uh, about prayer? Well, I want to say a couple things. This past spring, we were doing a series called Help My Unbelief, and we responded to your questions, and a, questions that was, a question that was asked a lot was, if God is sovereign, why pray? If God's in control of everything will do ultimately as he pleases and, and is his will, what's the point of prayer? And so we spent some time there, th- this question about prayer generally, and we said then that prayer changes our hearts, and prayer fosters intimacy with God, and Prayer is a means that God has ordained to accomplish his purposes. That's church jargon to say, that's theology to say that prayer actually makes a difference. And it draws our hearts more in relationship with Jesus, fosters intimacy with God, it changes us. So we could talk about prayer in those general terms, or we could talk also about uh, how we are to pray for all, pray universally. We could talk about that because First Timothy 2, 1 says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. It goes to talk about people in government and kings, that we should pray for all. Or as Jesus said in Matthew five forty three, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we're, we're, we're we're told to pray for all we're told to pray for our leaders we're told to pray for even those who persecute us who are we not to pray for so we could go that route but i i want to say that that we could say so much about prayer but we're zeroing in here on what it means to pray for one another to be church family right the The subtitle of this series of one anothering is that we are to be the loving counterculture of gospel community. That there is a loving countercultural gospel community. So as we gather, people should see distinct things. They should see what makes us different. There's distinctives to the Christian family, to the church. And one of those is that the church pray for one another. They just do. And so that's what we're zeroing in on. So let me show you where we are instructed to pray for one another. If you have a Bible, you can turn to James chapter 5. Um, we see the instruction given in verse 16. We'll start in verse 13. It'll also be on the screen. Here's James 5, verse 13, on praying for one another. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So if you have a bulletin or you want to follow along, there's four points this morning. and I'll tell them all to you now and then we'll walk through them. We pray for one another because, first, this may seem really obvious, but the Bible tells me so. We pray for one another because the Bible tells me so. The B-I-B-L-E says it. So we go there too. We pray for one another, secondly, because it is powerful and effective Thirdly, we pray for one another because of the innumerable benefits of corporate prayer. It's a bit of a sermon point cop-out. Just, there are so many benefits, but how do you list them? There are so many benefits to praying for one another. Thirdly, we pr- or Fourthly, before we pray for one another because to be like Jesus is to intercede for others. That's part of what it means to become more Christ-like. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that yeah, you make it really clear um, what you desire from us. And all, all the while, as we hear sometimes hard commands or hear encouragements or hear what sometimes sounds like just another thing we have to do, Lord, it could not be further from the case. You lovingly draw us to learn these things so that our lives can be more fruitful, more faithful, more abundant. And you give us the power by your spirit to achieve it with joy and gratitude and passion. So God, I thank you for what you're teaching us about being the church and pray that you would guide our time here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. See, we pray for one another because the Bible tells me so. Look, this seems obvious, but it is the foundation by which the structure of prayer for others is built upon. We pray for one another because we're instructed to. Because let me tell you, there are going to be times when you don't feel like praying for someone else. You feel like, I'm just taking, I'm just praying about my stuff, right? There might be moments like that. I sure have them, right? I just want to pray about the things that are pertinent on my own heart. But when we know that we're instructed by the scriptures, that we are told to, commanded to pray for each other, it's sometimes that, that thing we need to know deep in our hearts that, that, that it's we 're faithful to go there and to do that, and so it 's really important to know as a root, as a foundation that we 're instructed to pray for one another. See where the Bible speaks, we always need to be reminded of this. God speaks when we obey the commands of the Bible, when, what that means is that we 're obeying God in His very words to us. likewise, when we reject the commands of the bible we 're rejecting God in His very words, and so one of the reasons that we give ourselves to praying for one another, and I really think it is the foundation, is that we see that we're told to do it in the Scriptures. And really, that's reason enough. Thankfully, we're given many more reasons as well. But we can see that we are commanded to do so. We can see the instructions to pray for one another throughout the Scriptures. We see in James 5.16, pray for one another. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we're instructed to pray without ceasing. And in verse 25, Paul says, Brothers pray for us. In Matthew 6, 7, Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, pray then like this. And he gives us instruction on how to be faithful in prayer. In Ephesians 6, 18, Paul says, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication. Supplication is asking humbly, making supplication for all the saints, it says. So we're instructed to pray at all times, pray in the spirit, to keep alert and to be persevering in making supplication for all the saints, praying, humbly asking for the needs of others in our midst, constantly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his brilliant little book, Life Together, said, it is in fact the most normal thing in the common Christian life. To pray together, Bonhoeffer left the United States as World War II is about to begin. Went back to Germany when all his friends were telling him not to, and he met with this small group uh, that that began to be community to each other, a Christian community underground opposed to what Hitler was doing. And this book, Life Together, came from that experience. And so as he was meeting underground with fellow Christians as World War II and Hitler's regime was pressing forward in Germany, he looked around at at this little community of faithful Christians and said, it is, in fact, the most normal thing in the common Christian life to pray together. It doesn't get more normal, more basic, about loving one another and being the church and that we pray together. We engage one another in prayer. And this is, in fact, what the earliest church did. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it tells us what the early church, the first church, gave themselves to. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, both communion and meals together, and prayers. They, plural, devoted themselves, that earliest church that set the world on fire, to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. We are instructed to follow the lead of that church and follow the instructions of the Bible as it tells us, as it commands us to pray for one another. It is the starting place. But let's move on. We'll see there is such great and varied benefit to doing so as well. That we actually get a lot of joy. It's for our good and for the good of the church and world that we give ourselves to praying for one another. So secondly, we pray for one another because it is powerful and effective. Look at verse 16 in the text. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working another translation of it is a righteous person has great power. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is effective. It is. If you're like me, you read this and go, okay, like how super righteous is this person who has powerful, effective prayer? Like are we talking like top-tier faithfulness? Are we talking you have to be 90 plus and always praying? Are you, does that make you righteous? Do you have to have like 17 degrees? What Like what... What makes you a righteous person that has this powerful, effective kind of prayer? What, are the, like, what is it that births that, that makes that? Well, the prayer of a righteous person, a righteous person is simply somebody saved by grace. It's, some, it's actually the person who says, I'm so unrighteous, I claim the righteousness of Christ in my life. If you've done that, if you've given your life to Jesus and said, I can't earn my own salvation, I need need the righteousness of Christ, if that's you, you are righteous. Not on your own account, but on Christ's. The righteous person is the follower of Jesus, period. Uber Christians included, but all of us. (laughs) That's all of us. Any recipient of, of, of the grace of God. A fellow Jesus follower. James wants us to know that Prayer is a powerful weapon in the hands of humble, forgiven followers of Jesus. You and me. If you are counting on Christ's righteousness and not your own, and give yourself to prayer, God will use it mightily. I uh, want to quote John Chrysostom. He was a 4th century preacher. He was the bishop of Constantinople, He was referred to as the doctor of the church and golden-mouthed because of his eloquence. Here's what he says about the power of prayer, and he's just using the biblical examples. He says this. He said this, the fourth century. I love to quote a dead guy. Here we go. The potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions. Hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the fates of heaven, assaged diseases, dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destructions, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. There is, in prayer, an all-sufficient panoply, a, a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds a heaven. heaven. Heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Prayer and its power and its potency. It is powerful. It is effective in the hands of a faithful, righteous person who is righteous by the blood of Christ. Somebody who simply says, I can't make it Jesus, but you can do it and give themselves to relying on Christ in prayer. Oh, the power. (laughs) I confess the power of prayer is so much greater than I often think. How many times do we cough up old phrases instead of leaning into the power and potency of sincere, humble faith? Like, right? Stirring prayer. God promises that the prayer of a righteous person Anybody saved by grace is powerful, is effective. I want to make a couple quick clarifications on this. First, the faith exercised in prayer is faith in the God who sovereignly accomplishes his will. We pray to that end, faith in God knowing best and doing as he pleases. So we pray into that. We pray into a God who is sovereign and knows what is best, even when we don't. So we pray to that God, a God who knows how things ought to go, and we want to lean into that and rely on him. And God is the one who acts. He's the one who does it. It's because of Jesus that there's any power in our prayers. There's nothing magical about this. There's no formula that if we say just the right words in the right circumstance that something miraculous will happen. It's all God and him bringing the power into it. So there's the first bit of clarification that God knows best and does as he pleases, and he's the great power in our prayer. But I want to make a second clarification that goes with it at the same time, and that's this. Prayer actually makes a difference. We have a part to play. Our prayer is powerful and effective. Prayer is, I've said this before, a means that God has ordained to accomplish his purposes, meaning that God wills that we pray and uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes. Isn't that... Doesn't that hurt your head? (laughs) But isn't it amazing? God invites our participation and has sovereignly deemed it so, so that we participate in prayer. We see results sometimes to those prayers. We get to be excited. We get to have joy. We get to participate in kingdom work because he deems that we be those participants in prayer. He deems that our prayers actually have effect for the community, uh, for the kingdom. So our prayers actually make a difference. So to summarize this, we are ordinary people and we have an extraordinary God. And by his grace, he uses the prayers of the ordinary to achieve his extraordinary purposes in the world. Look at verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. There's a couple things going on What I just clarified who raises up the sick person. The Lord raises him up. Because the Lord is the one with that kind of power. And yet the prayer of faith is offered by you and me. And you have to say, what if we didn't give ourselves to faithful prayer? Would the person be raised up by the power of God that's there and available? Well, what we see in this instance is that people are faithful in prayer. And God does his work powerfully of healing that person. So we're not going to talk too much specifically about healing this morning, though that is one of the innumerable benefits of corporate prayer. We're not going to talk too much about confessing our sins to one another because, as you know, it's another one another. And we're going to address that in a few more weeks, confessing your sins to one another. So we're focusing on simply the prayer that we're given to prayer. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I wonder, has that been your experience in your life? Maybe not every time. Maybe not very often but can you look back at instances if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time where you've said, wow, I was prayed for by my church. I was prayed for by brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I knew it. I saw him answer prayer. Have you been the recipient of that kind of grace? It's one of the sweetest graces that he gives his church. Answered prayer. We get great joy in seeing it happen. We're reminded of the great power of our God. As he works things out, I've received prayer. Uh, look, I, from time to time, I get overwhelmed and I get anxious. Um, from time to time, um, yeah. I, so I've I've gotten an interesting, I've chosen an interesting career for, <laughs> for that, right? It's just there's some heaviness sometimes, and and, but one of the beauties for me is that in in stepping into this role, I've, I, 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 the spiritual warfare sometimes feels so palpable. This is heavy. Nothing should be going wrong right now, but my world feels like it's crashing down. There's weight on my shoulders. What's going on? I ask some people to pray, and literally the next day, or sometimes within the day, what I discover is no circumstance has changed at all, but my, my heart is experiencing joy and not deep heaviness, right? My heart is set free, and wow, God, you're answering prayers, like, the spiritual is happening in our midst, and I, I'm, I'm so sensing your grace in lifting heavy burdens and doing that by your people giving themselves to prayer. That, that blows my mind. I, I really, I, I can name instances where I've sensed that so clearly, and it is so remarkable. In the same breath, I find an equal amount of joy, I find it at least as significant to know that my prayers to God have impacted the lives of my brothers and sisters? Is it not equally or even more joyful in raising prayers on behalf of your brothers and sisters and seeing God answer them? It's incredible, isn't it? So let me tell you, there is great power in prayer. It is very effective. Your prayers matter. They make a difference. Giving yourselves to pray for the one another that makes us the church is simply critical and phenomenal. God, by His grace, has made it so that those who trust in Christ and pursue Christ can lean on Him to answer prayers effectively and powerfully. So we give ourselves to it. Thirdly, we pray for one another because of the innumerable benefits of corporate prayer. There literally isn't enough time in this sermon for me to even list all of the benefits of praying for one another, but we have a lifetime to discover them together maybe one at a time, to experience them and discover them and come to know them. Benefit after benefit after benefit of praying for one another. They just keep coming. If you reflect on your life, if you've walked with the Lord for a while, the benefits just keep rolling in, in our prayers for one another. Edmund Clowney, in his phenomenal book, The Church, wrote, Whether informal or informal gatherings, fervent, corporate, Prayer is the life breath of Christ's church. For we grow together as we pray with and for one another, and the mission of the church begins at Christ's throne, for the Lord sends out his laborers as his people pray. I love that phrase prayer is the life breath of the church. And there are innumerable benefits and what it does, that corporate prayer does in the life of the church is hard to measure. But it is really any fruitful endeavor can be traced back to the prayers of faithful people. Firstly, let me just list a few of these benefits. Firstly, it grows us together. Do you not hear the phrase in James 5, if anyone among you is sick... It's talking about the people corporately together. See, when we can rally around someone who is sick, going through a hard time, through a difficulty, is needing prayer, praying for that person, praying corporately, praying for one another grows us together. It unifies us. I'm so looking forward to our men's Bible studies starting up again soon because. From 6 to 7 in the morning on Wednesdays, we just read a few verses of the Bible together in small groups of men and pray for one another. Like, there's nothing spectacular about that, except for the fact that it's the Word of God in prayer, and we leave going, we've just done the most important work we could together, you know? Is there anything better we could do with our time than... then studying God's word, speaking it through um, to each other, proclaiming it to each other, and praying for one another. These are really simple ingredients, and yet when I sit with those men, and as I've observed, men have found accountability Through praying with other men as they open up and pray for one another, men have found mentors for each with others because they've sat with an older man and they've been so edified by what that person speaks into their lives. They say, "Can we meet from time to time?" We just see it happening. Salt starts tomorrow. Same thing. Women around tables studying God's word together and praying for one another. It unifies us. That we would pray for each other is so unifying. I could probably, I think for sure, I could say as a staff, the the sweetest times we have in our meetings is when all of the itinerary is done and we we lay hands on someone and pray for them. We spend time praying for each other. Those are always the sweetest times. Those are where the tears come. Those are where the the, the real signs of unity come on on our pastoral team, our staff team, is when we've spent some time praying for each other. That unifies us. It fosters community. It helps us minister to each other and it helps us be a family together. Uh, Praying for each other, we pray for one another because it brings healthy humility. If you're not a humble person, you'll never go up to someone and say, would you you pray for me? Humble people don't ask for prayer. So if you want to be a part of the corporate prayer life of a church family, you've got to humble yourself and say, would you pray for me? Brother, would you pray for me? Sister, would you pray for me? I need prayer. I need it. I need your prayers. It's humbling to do so. Not only that, it's humbling in the first place to pray. Because when we pray, the reason we do it is because we need Jesus to do something we can't. You know, oftentimes we come to Jesus in desperation and pray because, well, I've tried everything on my own. We shouldn't do life that way, but we do. And now I'm desperate, so we come to Jesus. That's humbling. So prayer itself is humbling because we're saying, I need you, Jesus, because I can't fix this. I can't do this. So prayer humbles us, but praying for one another humbles us even more because we look to our peers, we look to our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, would you pray for me? I need it. It's humbling, and that's a good thing. It brings a healthy humility. Sort of in the same vein, praying for one another combats individualism. The Christian life isn't me and Jesus. It is not. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life isn't a me and Jesus life. See, the church is Christ's bride, and we don't get Jesus as the groom without committing to being the bride. Jesus doesn't become your husband if you're not going to be a part of the wife. And so praying for one another and the command to do so puts you around fellow believers. It it combats individualism and says, look at the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray like this, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like when you pray, this whole thing, it begins with our Father. It's corporate. We're meant to pray together. We're meant to do this together. Is there a prayer time for isolation in the prayer closet? Absolutely. But Jesus' instruction on how to pray begins with, the plural, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name as we pray among the saints and pray for one another. It combats individualism to be someone who prays for brothers and sisters in Christ. It also, mutual mutual prayer helps us bear one another's burdens, um, bring about spiritual accountability, confession, accountability in prayer, right? We see confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Look at the context, right? We're to do these things because they open us up to doing life with each other, to walking with each other, confessing and praying for one another. It also fuels the mission of the church. We need to be dependent people in prayer. Jesus sends out laborers. That's his work. Jesus presents opportunities for us to share the gospel. You ever find somebody's heart strangely warmed to the gospel? Your, it's nothing you've done. It's Jesus put that opportunity there, and you have the opportunity to be faith, faithful and follow it down. Um, likewise, Jesus um, warms our hearts to faith in the first place. And so we need to pray for one another, and in doing so it fuels the mission of the church. And I could go on and on and on. Yet I want us to hear that prayer is the life breath of the church. It, it draws us together and it is so important. And the benefits just keep flowing. Don't you find that as you read a command sometime in scripture and you go, really, I have to do that? I have to add that to the list of the rules that I'm supposed to keep? You know, sometimes we read it that way, right? And sometimes people will critique it that way. It's a rule book full of rules. But don't you find once in a while that when you come across one and you're like kind of grinding your teeth about something you're supposed to obey in the Scriptures that enough time passes as you've given yourself to obedience and you look back and say, oh, yeah. He didn't just do it to mess with me or he didn't just do it to make my life not fun. He actually did it because my life most flourishes when I give myself to faithful obedience. You look, this is one of those things where you look back and say, oh, yeah, praying for one another is, isn't just a command, The benefits to my soul, the benefits to my brothers and sisters, the benefits to the church just go on and on and on. It's a command for our good individually and corporately. Lastly, we pray for one another because to be like Jesus is to intercede for others. I want to show you a moment where Jesus interceded for someone. I'm going to show you three different contexts. Here's the first one. It's in Luke chapter 22. The next one will be in John 17, and the third one will be in Hebrews chapter 7. Here's the first one. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, one of Jesus' closest disciples, Simon Peter, Jesus approaches him and says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. That sounds intense. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again... Turned from denying me three times, but when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There has been a scenario where Jesus was interceding for Peter and Satan wanted to have his way with him. And Jesus stepped in and said, you will not. His faith will not fail. Because Jesus interceded Peter's faith didn't go from denial to continual denial, but went from denial to repentance to becoming a pillar in the church. Why? Satan wanted to take his soul, but Jesus interceded for him. Prayed that his faith would not fail and said, when you turn, when my prayer is answered, it will be. Strengthen your brothers because you're going to be a pillar in the church. You're going to raise other men and women up to lead. It's incredible. What kept Peter from failing? The intercessory prayer of Jesus. Let me take you to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is a prayer by Jesus. This is truly the Lord's Prayer, if we want to go on semantics here. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. This is Jesus' own prayer. And here's what he does. In the first five verses, he prays for himself. That's where he starts. But look at his prayer for himself. Glorify me, he says so that I can glorify you, he says to his heavenly Father. He prays for himself, but that he would glorify God the Father. Then he moves to praying for those who believe, and he closes it by praying for those who will believe, future believers. That main passage, that main part of the chapter, verses 6 through 19 in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for those who are his, and he's interceding for them. In verse 9 he says, I'm praying for those whom you've given me. In verse 11 he says, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. He's praying that they would be kept like Peter was kept and he's praying for their unity, that they would be one, that we would be one. Jesus prays that prayer over us. In verse 13 Jesus prays, these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That the joy of Christ, that abundant life, that fruitful life, that that joy we have in Christ that may be experienced by believers. Jesus prays to that end for us. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He doesn't pray against difficulty coming the way of his Christians, but he prays that they would keep the faith. Verse 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And in verse 19, he reiterates sanctification and says that, and for their sake, I consecrate myself. He's on the road to the cross that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Sanctification, um, just in its most simple terms, is becoming more like Jesus in our actual lives. The moment you get saved, you come to Jesus, you are justified. You are made right. You have a spotless record. You get Christ's record instantaneously. Sanctification, though, is we're still pretty messy and we still mess up. We still sin. We still do wrong in this, this side of heaven. Sanctification, though, is our lives ought to evidence becoming more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world in our everyday practical lives. It's a slow go, but sanctification happens in the lives of believers, and Jesus prays for that to that end. Sanctification in disciples, is discipleship in action, becoming more and more like Jesus over time. And to be more like Jesus is to do what he does. And we have the privilege of praying for the sanctification of others, praying on behalf of others, because to be a disciple is to do what Jesus does. And I've showed you in a couple contexts that Jesus prays for others, prays for brothers and sisters in Christ, prays for believers. So to be more like Jesus... We take on the intercessory prayer role for one another. Now, intercessory prayer is the act of praying to God on behalf of others, to intercede. Jesus does this continually. Look at this third text, Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 23. The former priests, high priests, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. What kept the high priests, and we see it through the Old Testament, and this is the system that Jesus um, earthly ministry went into in the new testament um this 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 uh, priestly function where um priest after high priest after high priest would come well well why do they need more high priest well because priests died and then they need another high priest and then the high priest died and they needed another high priest but verse 24 says but jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever he ain't going nowhere In verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is what that means, that Jesus becomes the great high priest. Jesus has a high priestly ministry. He lives perpetually to intercede for us. He did it for Peter. He did it and does it for all believers in his earthly ministry. And he continues to do it perpetually at the right hand of the Father. So there was this day of atonement that would happen. Yom Kippur, the high priest would sprinkle the blood of a bull and goat and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy of holies in the temple one day a year to atone for his own sins and for the sins of others. Jesus came along and both made the once-for-all sacrifice as high priest, didn't need to be done again, and was the once-for-all sacrifice shedding his own blood on the cross. And in being our once for all sacrifice for sins, he is able to be our perpetual intercessor. So Jesus continues to intercede for you and for me. And then Peter, this guy that Satan wanted to sift like wheat, (laughs) comes along in 1 Peter chapter 2 and says, You are a royal priesthood. Talks about the priesthood of all believers. Everyone who comes to Jesus. Becomes a priest. So Jesus is our great high priest, and we get to be participants as priests. To become more like Jesus, we do the same. We intercede for others. We are priests. We intercede for others with Jesus as our model. He's the great high priest, and he has made us the priesthood of all believers. And priests give themselves to prayer on others' behalf. And because Jesus is our great high priest our perpetual intercessor, we can have confidence that our prayers will be effective. So as we close here this morning, I just want to say this. Um, The fact that Jesus intercedes on our behalf, that in John 17, in his earthly ministry, he was praying for those who would believe. If you've given your life to Christ, you came to faith because Jesus interceded for you because he has been and continues to be your great intercessor, that at any point in your life that your heart was strangely warmed to the gospel and what you thought maybe at one time was ridiculous, you now believe and give your life to, that's due to the intercessory work of Jesus and his accomplished work on the cross. If this morning you've never given your life to Jesus, but your heart is strangely warmed, you know why that is? Because you have a great high priest who not only paid the penalty for your sin, but is interceding for you even now and giving you that strange feeling in your heart that even makes you want to come to him. And my, my encouragement to you is to respond to that and to give your life to Jesus. I said last week that one anothering begins with one with love one another. That's the starting place and everything else flows from there. See, one of the great ways in which we can love one another is to pray for one another one of the greatest ways, to minister to one another in prayer, to pray not only for ourselves and our families which are good things, but also to pray for our church family and believers everywhere. See, a church that loves one another is without a doubt a church that prays for one another. And a church that prays for one another is without a doubt a church that loves one another. So would you give yourself to that? To to loving one another, and one of the ways that you do that is to to truly, sincerely pray for one another. Um, I'm going to invite our our prayer ministry, our prayer team to kind of get in spots uh, in the sanctuary. Um, Just want to highlight them. We're going to have someone at the back of the room here, at the front of the room here, and someone up in the balcony. If you could make your way to those places, I encourage you to do that. Um, It's no coincidence that we've begun this, this this Um, ministry of intercessory prayer and our services um, as we begin a one-anothering series. We want to learn more and more at Central what it means to minister to one another. And so um, I'm going to invite the worship band to come on up as well, and we're going to sing songs of response to God. But in the midst of that, we also want to give you the freedom and show our priority of prayer and praying for one another by giving you the opportunity to receive prayer. Maybe there's sin you want to confess this morning and you want to bring that to someone in prayer. Maybe you're carrying a heavy burden this morning and you want to be prayed for. Maybe there's um, something going on in your life or in the lives of, of those you love and you would like that to be prayed for. Can I remind you, we believe that the prayer of a righteous person, somebody who loves Jesus, is powerful and effective. So what we're encouraging you to do in this time of response is use it as a varied time of response. Sing your hearts out to Jesus. Worship Jesus. Do that corporately and minister to one another through prayer. Feel free to have a quiet time of prayer, but to know that that there are people willing to do that for you. We're going to continue to make that our practice here because a church that loves one another prays for one another, and a church that prays for one another loves one another. Let's bow our heads in prayer and then respond. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our great intercessor. That you intercede on our behalf. Thank you for that truth. And Lord, as we long to become more like you and less like the world, that we long to be your disciples and not disciples of of our culture at large. Lord, we want to follow after you. As we do that, Lord, part of that is praying for others, praying for those in our midst, praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, giving ourselves to that end, praying for the mission of the church, praying that you would uh, call out laborers to the harvest, praying for those who are sick among us, praying for those with needs among us. Lord, this is the lifeblood of our church, that we give ourselves to prayer. And it is the most normal of things in the Christian community. So, Lord, we want to do that. We want to practice that authentically. I pray that in our life groups, as they begin to gather again uh, this month and into October, Lord, would there be just sweet times of corporate prayer in those spaces. I pray that as our youth ministries gather, as the district meets tonight, and our, 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 our junior and senior high meet later in the week, Lord, that as they break off into small groups, that they would have sweet times of prayer. Lord, I pray that for our kids, that they would have sweet times of prayer as we, as we gather, as we go about life together, Lord. I ask that you would make us a people of prayer for one another, that we would hold one another up in prayer. I pray we would utilize the spaces we're given here to do that, to minister to each other and be community to each other. We long to do that. Lord, I praise you for this church, for the hundreds of faithful prayers for one another that go out here each week. May we only simply multiply that by leaning into it now. I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.